congregation, let us turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 2. Lord's Day 2. Question 3. Whence knowest thou thy misery? Answer out of the law of God. Four. What does the law of God require of us? Christ teaches us that briefly in Matthew 22, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first and the great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Question 5. Canst thou keep all these things perfectly? Answer in no wise. For I am prone by nature to hate God and my neighbor. So far. Congregation tonight, it is about the moral law. The theme for this sermon, the moral law. And with the help of the Lord, three main thoughts. The purpose of the moral law. Secondly, the heart of the moral law. In the third place, keeping the moral law. So it is about the moral law. The purpose of it the heart of it, and keeping it. Congregation, every time that I study Lord's Day 2, always that same story comes to my mind. And I may have told you before, I don't know exactly. Maybe I told you before. But I think it's worth to think about it. In one of my previous congregations, I had an elder who was of Roman Catholic origin. And he went to school, to evening school, and often in the train, traveling, he met that same young woman. And they started talking and connecting. And he asked her out for a date. And she said, I cannot do that. Why not? You are Roman Catholic. And I am NSC. I can't do that. Such a difference. Impossible. But time and again, he insisted. He did not let go. And he said, just let me, let me hear that. And finally, she was already in the confession class. She agreed, and he came over for a weekend, for a Sunday. And he came to church with her. And that was... A reading service. And it was about the Heidelberg Catechism. And it was about Lord's Day too. Whence knowest thou thy misery? Out of the law of God. And he knew something about the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. He also had been in a choir, a boys choir. And they sometimes sang together, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Guilty, guilty, 
very guilty. But now he heard that we need to understand the law ourselves. And the Lord used that. That first son the Lord used in his heart. And he began, he, it shocked him out of his comfort zone. And he began to seek and to cry out to the living God. And they married. And he was for years an elder. He has now retired. So may that happen tonight. That this sermon about the law, not so attractive, is it? Not so fond we are of that, right? But that this sermon may be a, may be an, a, a milestone in someone's heart, in someone's life. And that it might sink in what we did to our maker. And that it may become exceedingly sinful and see the Lord for his mercy. So back to the Heiberg. Imagine what we have heard last Sunday, having the true comfort. Imagine you having the true comfort. Imagine you belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing that. Imagine that Christ owes me and has paid for me with his blood and to have the comfort of that. Having a heavenly Father, the Holy Ghost assuring me of eternal life. It can be more. It's all in there in the, high, in the first Lord's Day. Does that not make us jealous? Don't we desire that comfort? Nothing needs to bother us anymore. Nothing can separate us from the love of God anymore. Then we have all we ever need. We then have a comfort to live and die happily, it said. Happily. But now the question is, after Lord's Day 1, can I get that? Is that for me? How can I receive that? And if someone receives that comfort, does it just fall out of the sky, or how does it? Ha- what's happening? How, what's occurring now? And the answer is that the Lord works by the law. Others have other answers. Do you know? Unfortunately, many just assume that they are His people. Just didn't believe that. Unfortunately, many, many just assume that they are God's people, and they assume it goes well, and they assume that all things must work together for good, and assume that they go to heaven anyway. Many believe so, and reason like, you're supposed to believe that, right? Are you not supposed to believe that you're doing well? And that you're saved? And that you go to heaven? Is it not mandatory to believe that? And people say, it's unbelief. Unbelief is a sin. So you must believe that the comfort is yours. And others say, I was baptized. And others say, I live a good life. The Bible does not teach anything of that. We need to repent to begin with. 
to repent of our sins and truly believe in the Lord Jesus and live accordingly. We need those three points, as we have seen, uh, as we have read the last time, right? In question two, how many things are necessary for thee to know that thou enjoying this comfort mayest live and die happily? Three, the first, how great my sins and miseries are. The second, how I am delivered from all my sins and miseries. The third, how I shall express my gratitude to God for such deliverance. So that is what the Bible says. We need to repent. To repent. Give me a definition of repentance. Repentance is to know your sins, to know what they are, to feel sorry for them, and to turn away from them. But how can we know our sins? How can we know them? Who tells me what sin is and why would I feel sorry for them? Well, who tells us? Sin is all God disapproves of. And we even have a list of things. A list of ten points. We call it the Ten Commandments. We call it the Moral Law. We call it the Decalogue. Deca meaning ten, and log in his words, the ten words. There are also other laws, but we are talking about the moral law right now. Other laws, different laws, Canadian law, civil law in the Bible, ceremonial laws about the temple service and the priests and the, and the sacrifices and Everything, ceremonial. But here are talking about the moral law. And the moral law is everlasting. It's in God, found in God. It, it, the moral law could not possibly be a different law. It is unchangeable from eternity to eternity. And that law tells us very clearly what God disapproves of. If you don't think of that law or don't have it, or don't believe in it, we feel okay. And don't feel that we are that, that bad. However, when we begin to hear it, the law, when our eyes are open for it, we feel, how do I say that? Is it too rude to say this? Rotten to the core. This is the way it is. Paul writes about that. At first he did not have a clear understanding of God's law, and he felt kind of fine most of the time. But then God opened the law for him and opened his eyes. He was in a shock. He really was in a shock. He says that law killed me. It slew me. He took the wind out of me. The law killed him? Yes. That's what he said. The law, the Ten Commandments, have slain him. 
before you go to know the law, Paul felt fine. He assumed he was alive, spiritually, and righteous, and an example to others. He did not feel broken. He did not feel really guilty. He was confident until the law came and began to accuse him. And then he felt confronted, not only pain, but he died. So we have read it together tonight from Romans 7. Let me quote. For, he's explaining, for, because I was alive. I was alive. Yes, I was alive. Without the law once. I felt fine. I was alive. No law. Without the law, once I felt good. I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came. What does it mean? When the commandment came, sin revived. And I died. And that is what we need. What we need is to heed the law and to understand the law and then sin revives. Sin is kind of calm and under the carpet. But sin wakes up and we begin to see it everywhere. And I died. So he came in the midst of death. And he faced an impossible, hopeless situation. He had no courage that he ever could save himself. What a situation! I died, he said, being slain. Yes, the law can do that. And should we blame the law for that? How do you feel about the law? How do you feel about the law? Are you just angry with the law? Do you say, Lord, keep your mouth closed? I don't listen to you. You're always so negative. You take all the courage away. You make me feel so guilty. You make me feel sad. You make me feel bad. So people usually don't appreciate the law, do they? Because the law is commanding and confronting and accusing and condemning. Well, is the law bad? Is the law mean? Is the law unreasonable? Listen to Paul again. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, brought in me all manner of concupiscence, all different ungodly desires. Lust, craving, longing. For without the last sin was dead. So the problem is not the law. 
Because if you have no sin, the law is no threat. If you have no sin, the law can't do anything. Cannot condemn us at all. The law is kind of neutral in that way. The law only condemns sin. If you don't have sin, it doesn't condemn you. So sin, taking occasion by the commandment, manifesting through the commandment, becoming visible through the commandment, brought in me all manners concupiscence, and I became aware of that. I became aware of, of my sinful lusts. And without that lust, sin was dead. Sin didn't bother me. Someone who has passed away is no threat to anyone. And sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. When the commandment came, sin, see, sin is the problem. Sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, the law, was meant to live by, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. Therefore the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. The law is good. The law is holy. You can't blame the law. But the law opens things up and shows you who we are. Pastor Paul had questions about that. And people asked him about the law, how he felt about the law. Was then that which is good made death unto me? So a good law made death, created death? God forbid. But sin that it might appear sin, sin that it might appear sin, sin sometimes is not, does not appear as sin. Feels kind of whatever. But sin that it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good. That sin by the commandment might become. Do you know what follows? That sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. The Bible says. Exceeding sinful. That sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. So that you're not just failure. You're not just weak. You cannot defend yourself. It is not so that you have made mistakes. But it's exceeding sinful. That's what the law is doing. And you're just really in shock. And you die, kind of. And you die. Because it's such a hopeless situation from your side. Do you still live without the law? As the Pastor Paul said, still I live without the law once, not anymore. Do you live without the law? Do you try to escape the law? You don't want the law to knock you out, right? So you are skirting and dodging and avoiding the blows. 
That's what we do. You don't want to get hit over the head by the law. And yet, how precious. When sin becomes exceeding sinful, and we begin to see that we need an exceeding grace, and if we see there is an exceeding Savior, that is not trivial, that is not something common, something normal, but exceeding sinful, so that also grace may become more, more, more exceeding. Children, you know what happened, right, to the Apostle Paul? Kind of extreme. But yet, at heart, the same happens to all of God's people, younger or older. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings, slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, of the Christian way, whether men or women, he might bring them to Jerusalem bound. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? The Lord Jesus talking there. That's how it started. The Lord Jesus talking. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the bricks, right? It's hard to be arrested. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And let me skip a few verses. He was three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. And a few more verses later, And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. And again a few verses, Paul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwell at Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. See that Paul was a Pharisee. He did so well in his life. He had no complaints about self, no shame, no guilt, no struggle. He was completely fine. He was alive. Without the love. Fine. When the Lord stopped him, thou persecutest me. That's the law, right? You don't cooperate. You're against me. You're an enemy of me. The Lord told him. It slew him. It broke him. It took the breath out of him. He didn't know what to do anymore. It became impossible from his side. 
And that is how the Lord makes room for the only comfort. But letting you feel what you did so that you deal with the things head on and that you don't avoid and dodge and try to escape. Are you still resisting the Holy Ghost? Still trying to live without the law? So when you give yourself a number from 1 to 10, 1 is really bad and 10 is excellent, what number would you give yourself? 9? 8? 7? What do you say? Minister, I've sinned against his grace. I've sinned against all his commandments. I'm prone to all evil. I have nothing to offer. Though it can just simply pass me by. I have nothing to say. I have zero. Zero. Exceeding sinful brings to the second form the heart of the law. What does the law of God require of us? Christ teaches us that briefly, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first and the great commandment and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So what is the heart of the commandment? If you may say only one word, give me one word. That's the answer. What is the law about? What is it all about? It is all about one thing. It is about love. To love God above all. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. God is love, deserves love, wants to be loved. Everything without love is without faith, is not with honor, is sin. So everything that is missing the love. His sin. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. It is not just trying to love him, right? If your girlfriend would ask you, do you love me? You say, I do my best. How does she feel? Right? That's not good enough. You have to say, absolutely, I, I love you, not I do my best. How is that spiritually? Do you love the Lord? Do you say, uh, I do my best? That is absolutely missing the point. If you can't come further than that, that's just missing it. You know the apostle Peter said, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee, and it might not always, not, not always be alive in the heart of God's people, but 
Sometimes they can say it again, and it's, it's true again. So when the love is missing in our best works, mention something that you did good, something you're proud of. You helped someone out, you just denied yourself, you sacrificed. And there is no love in there for the Lord. Then it is legalism. Then it is fake. It's phony. It's physical. It is not what the Lord had in mind. When faith is missing, love is missing, because faith works by love. But be careful here. Today, many state that love is what we should go by. If you love children, you let them do what they want. People reason. When you love women that are raped, you allow to kill the baby. If you love people that call themselves homosexuals or pansexual or bisexual or queer or whatever words they use today, people say if you love those people, then you approve of them with their lifestyle. Well, that's not the case. We may not reason that way. If we love God, we love and keep His commandments and not how we feel. His commandments. So it is about loving God, about loving His commandments, and He decides what's right and wrong, and not our feelings, and not our reasoning. It's only His word, His law. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Taking care of others the same way as we take care of ourselves. Apparently, it is not wrong to love yourself. Do you love yourself? I hope you do. I hope you don't hate yourself. That is unhealthy. That's not biblical either. You don't have to hate yourself. You're unworthy of life. You deserve to go to hell. Yes. But you have a soul for eternity. And you are a valuable person made in God's image. You are not worthless. You are not garbage. You are not refuse. If a soul costly, expand your soul for eternity. And don't hate yourself. Don't harm yourself. Don't commit suicide. Don't cut yourself. You're made by the Lord. So we may love ourselves, but we must love our neighbor as ourselves. So to also protect
protect our neighbor and to sacrifice our neighbor and to do what we can for our neighbor. That's the law. And especially in this sense, that law makes people feel exceeding sinful. Because of the heart of it. The heart of it saying, I need to see love. So maybe you can make a list tonight on a piece of paper. You mention a few things you did for the Lord in love. Really for him. I'm just wondering how long the list will be. But God's children have a small beginning of that obedience. They cannot deny that there are things in their lives happening that they do for God's glory because the Lord is so worthy of it. Worthy of our glory. Romans 7.13 was then that which is good made death unto me, God forbid, but sin that might appear sin working death in me by the which is good that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. See that? I repeat that. Exceeding sinful because the love is missing. It slays me. It kills me. Close to this is as we read in Romans 5, two chapters earlier, verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. See that? That's a saying, instead of saying exceeding sinful, it says that the offense might abound. That is so healthy. And God's children are busy with that their whole life. That little boat is taking in more and more ballast so that it goes deeper in the water and would not capsize because it is that exceeding sinful, that abounding grace. So that is what the law does. Without exaggeration, the law shows me the reality, the depth of sin, and we have no words for the heinousness, the atrocity of sin. It is blasphemous because of the love is missing. Now, before we go to the next slide, I just want you to hand out some bread. Right? Maybe some are hungrier. Because the Lord Jesus is so different. The Lord Jesus is not exceeding sinful. His sins, his offense is not abounding. It's the opposite, right? So here, two texts and a few words. For such an high priest, do you know him? 
such a high priest became us, is fitting us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. So for people that have sinned exceedingly, there is also that grace in the Lord Jesus Christ is so different, he had no sin. In order to save sinners. That was Hebrews 7, 26. And now 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he, God, for God has made him Lord Jesus, to be, has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that he might be made the righteousness of God in him. Again, for he, God, has made his son to be sin. He made him sin. He placed all the sins of mankind on his shoulders, on his heart. He made him to be sin for us, for the church, who knew no sin. He knew no sin. He didn't know what sin was. He had never seen it. Sometimes to know means to experience, to feel, to meet, to be intimate he made him to be sin for us who had no experience with sin, who knew no sin, had no idea about how it would feel to sin. He knew no sin. But he was made to be sin for us, to make sin's righteousness of God in him, through him. It was the heart of the law. Let's go to the last thought. What do you read in question five? Canst thou keep all these things perfectly? And the answer is in no wise, for I'm prone by nature to hate God and my neighbor. So the third thought is about keeping the law. We can't. We cannot at all. You're prone to evil prone to hate, prone to hate God and to hate our neighbor. We believe in the total depravity of man. Total. Remember the tulip bird? The tears of total depravity, right? So not some depravity, not somewhat sinful, but totally, completely to the bottom. And it's good to know that, to know that depth of the misery, not to be rewarded for that, not to be proud of the knowledge of your misery, but in order to truly appreciate God's exceeding grace, as we are exceedingly sinful, we are not able to do good. We can take a coat. We can cook a meal. We can frame a house. We can space the plants. 
We can do things naturally, with God's help even, but in spiritual things, there's nothing we can do. We cannot control our heart, our feelings, our emotions, our love, our faith, our glory of God. There's nothing there. The carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be, cannot be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. See that? Are you in the flesh? You cannot please God. You are a hopeless case from our side. Exceeding sinful. I hope I can slay you today. I hope I can take all the breath out of you. That you go home devastated with it. Cry, Lord, I have exceedingly sinned against the holy and good in God. But also with the hope that he who has no sin, knew no sin, was made to be sin. Romans 3 is very clear on that, no? You know that chapter, right? That depressing chapter? You feel really down when you read that. But it's so necessary. There's none righteous, none at one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. None that seeketh after God. Nobody is seeking God. Nobody. Maybe we, do, we read the Bible and we go to church. But I mean that the real seeking, desiring Him, nobody is desiring God. He's just simply not there. They're all gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There is none that do good. No, not one. Now we know that what things, soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. We cannot. A horse cannot fly, can he? Can it? You can't make it fly. Impossible. And so sinners can of themselves not do good. Begin. The Lord Jesus was different. I say that again, again. What did Pilate say when he examined him? Remember? I know that's not the last word, but it was an indication of something. And he said unto them the third time, Pilate talking to the Jewish people the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. So publicly, he couldn't find anything. If he could have found something, he would have used it. The murder on the cross, the one converted said, and we indeed justly, 
for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss. And the centurion standing there also witnessed that certainly this was a righteous man. So exceeding sinful, but there's also abounding grace. And let me quote a few verses from the Bible with the word exceeding in there. I like that word. Matthew 5. To see the correlation between the way we talked about exceeding and exceeding this text. Matthew 5 itself. Rejoice. And be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they, the prophets were before you. The Lord Jesus talking to his disciples especially that they have the reason to rejoice and to be exceeding glad. I ask you if you had, had exceedingly sinned. No, I ask you have, you, have you received that exceeding gladness? Could you testify that? Exceeding gladness? You know, all God's people have it sometimes. Also, Christ had to be exceeding sorrowful. Mark 14. And he said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry here and watch. So the Lord Jesus was exceedingly sorrowful in order to save exceeding sinful, exceedingly sinful people. Oh, that depth of sin, but that depth of that sorrow, right? Or 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So the Lord has glory for his people, has heaven for his people, and that is far more exceeding. Even in this life, with so many trials and persecutions and afflictions, the Lord can give sinners a real happiness, happiness in life and death. 2 Corinthians 7. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. You know, the Lord gives that only comfort, right? He gives it only comfort in life and death to his people. And therefore, there are sometimes those experiences of the depth of sin, exceeding sinful, that the offensive abounds that grace might abound more. And the more, the deeper God's people go in the knowledge of sin. You would say, that's, that's not good. Let's not go there. Let's go there. The, the deeper they go in sin, 
the more exceedingly glad they are that there is such a Savior with such a sufficient grace, sufficient for the greatest of the sinners, exceeding. Do I need to close this way? I'm not sure. For about they that die without God, that it'll be exceeding painful and exceedingly trying. Also, no words for that. So, lay this before the Lord and implore His grace and don't let the impressions go away. You had impressions, right? because of death and problems maybe let those impressions not go away but leave for the Lord that you're exceeding sinful but keep in mind that is plenteous of mercy Amen